comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around, whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, what's up? Out Now is a film podcast. As Abe and I discussing new movies weekly, we also bring in discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a callback to past films similar to the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is episode 83, and this week we are talking Killing Them Softly, the new film starring Brad Pitt, Richard Jenkins, James Gandolfini, Ray Liotta, a bunch of people... Joining us, we have writer for Men- writer for Mendelssohn's memos and helping to post currently seeking compensation in the most mob appropriate way possible. Scott Mendelssohn, how you doing? Good evening. And we have writer for Ropes of Silicon and co-host of the podcast Brad and Laramie on movies. Currently crushing it when it comes to mob protected poker games. Laramie legal. I'm all in. Nice. <laughs> nice. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. No complaints. All right. Good to know. Let's get to a few announcements. I think we have an email before we get to it. I have a couple emails. We? Do you have one in front of you? <laughs> Stop looking at mine. Are you looking at yours? I'm trying to find mine. It's been... We got one from Mike Blakemore. Um, I'll just read this one. Hey guys, episode 82 started off as the best episode in a long time, except I'm listening and waiting for Aaron's guest musical talents to shine and play the theme, meaning it was time for games, but wait, no games, just rambling about Spielberg, blah, blah, blah. Please bring games back, and Abe, also. Loyal listener, Mike Blakemore. (laughs) People like games, apparently. I was not aware of this. I figured just, you know, wasting time with games, but people like them. We've got to get that Twitter game back. That was... That's a great game. I like, okay. I can, <laughs> that's a lot of prep, but I can do that game. Okay. Do you have another email, Abe? Uh, there is one from uh, Dion Thompson, but I don't know if that's really, really anything. Oh, this one's about Twilight. This one, I'll summarize this one because this is a long email. This one basically is about our, we did a step up commentary a while back, which was podcast history, I believe, because we did. We watched all three Step Up movies concurrently and recorded a joint commentary. So you can watch any Step Up movie and listen to that commentary and be set. So Mike Blake, or not Mike Blake, where Deion Thompson wants us to do one for the Twilight movies. I don't think I could go that far. I'll do it. Yeah, Scott, would you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I've, I've seen I've seen all five. Yeah. We'd have to consider. We'll, we'll, we'll consider. How would you How would you get five TVs? Well, what we did was we had five different guests going on from oh. her first step up. We had three different guests in different locations. So we were watching them concurrently. So we like I, I was watching step up three. Uh, Alan was watching the first step up and Jordan was watching the second step up. And we're watching it with separate locations, but recording together at the same time because they're all roughly the same amount of time. 
So I consider that podcast history. I don't think anyone else has attempted something of that of that scope before. So. That's madness. It's a, it's a bold, ambitious move. Uh, I thought it was. But so. we'd have to wait till the fifth Twilight came out on DVD because there actually is quite a bit to say about that one. Yeah. Were you? Would you consider yourself a fan of that movie? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I probably it's the best one since the original. And it's it's you know I, I mentioned this here and there. I went to see it at a Thursday night ten o'clock screening, and it was. One of the more enjoyable movie-going experiences I've had in a long, long time. Uh, the fans were going nuts. They were laughing and plotting on every cue. And, you know, without going into spoilery details, there's something kind of shocking that happens right toward the end. And the audience just went absolutely nuts, and it was great. Uh, it, just, it was a very enjoyable, you know, when you think of, of going to the movies. And I realized that, that you know... You know, it's no secret I have kids. You know, I haven't done that kind of screening in a long time for that kind of movie. Cool. No, it's just a really a lot of fun. Laramie, were you a fan of the uh, the final Twilight movie? Yeah, I thought it was. I would have it as the second best of the series. I'm one of the few weird people who like New Moon, but oh. I, oh. I and I didn't like the other three at all. So yeah, I would say this was a very solid C plus for me. <laughs> yeah, I've tricked our listeners into getting a Twilight review in this episode, in this show, so in some <laughs> capacity. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Let's move on. Let's get a, um, of course, iTunes reviews and ratings. Always good to get those. Helps out the show. It's really easy to do. Log on to iTunes, star rating, whatever you. It's, it's it's cool. Okay, let's let's get to know everybody. Each week we ask each other a few questions to kind of set the tone for the podcast. I better get to know everybody, and uh, I'll start this one off. Um, Laramie. Laramie. When do you love to see slow motion in movies? Death scenes. Exclusively death mm. scenes. Exclusively. Yeah. Exclusively. yeah. <laughs> well, now i got to think of some more. Maybe when doves fly as well. I like when doves are in <laughs> John Woo style. <laughs> yeah, I, I do enjoy that. Or if the last shot's about to go up, I like it to be in slow-mo, like a three-pointer at the buzzer. I think that's a good use of slow-mo. <laughs> yeah, so all nice, the- yeah. Sports yeah. movies. Sports movies. Indeed. <laughs> I will go, if I sufficiently answer your question, I'm actually going to bring in Scott. Yes. Scott, what is your favorite Brad Pitt movie? God, I was actually thinking about that just in case somebody asked me. Um, let me think. I actually have Box Office Mojo open and I can... There's no see. wrong answer except for Benjamin Button. <laughs> Meet Joe Black is okay? Cool world. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with <laughs> That movie was great when I was 12. Cool I would have to say, perhaps by default, um, Interview with a Vampire. Cool. Uh, by, no, 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 12 Monkeys, 12 Monkeys. As in, are you saying, are you thinking it's, Brad Pitt performance or Brad Pitt movie? Uh, God, he had a heck of a run right at the beginning, didn't he? Uh, seven. It's, that's, that's one of my favorite thrillers. It's my favorite Morgan Freeman performance. And Brad Pitt's terrific in it. And I, it's it's one of the best films of the '90s, in my opinion. But I would say the same thing about Twelve Monkeys. So, uh, coin toss, uh, seven Twelve Monkeys. Fair, okay. totally fair. Yeah. It's not cool world, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say California. That's not bad. Uh, it's actually a pretty decent movie, but yeah, not bad. You know, I'm sorry. Come back to me. I have absolutely nothing. Go. I have nothing. <laughs> all right, Abe, go. All right. Uh, Aaron. Yeah. All right. If James Gandolfini was a washed-up mob hitman, would you hire him still? And you knew that he was washed up. 
I mean, if he needed the money, he's James Gunn. Like, okay, so if if you if you said John Goodman, maybe because he's John Goodman. He's such a he's such like a bear. Like he's such a bear. Like he's such a like a <laughs> it's like a big nice guy. Like he, he can be threatening, sure, but he's John Goodman. James Gandolfini, you know. <laughs> You don't really get the sense that he's nice all the time, like you do, like with John Goodman. That's, that's true. He was very much that waiter, and I bring this up later because we'll talk about this later. But man, I, I just, I wanted to just like you know put a nice pillow over his face while he was sleeping. Graphic. <laughs> 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 all right. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm probably gonna say like if I know, like if I know like if it was like the Mexican. And with James Gandolfini, where he's like a gay hitman in that movie, yeah, maybe he's, he's not washed up. He seems like he's trying to stay fit. He's trying to find love and everything. This one, no, no, not not as, not as much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott. Yes. What's a role you really want to see Richard Jenkins in? Any role. Um, that's cheating, but I, I I am a fan. Um, just for fun, I'd love to see him in a James Bond film. Why not have him play a James Bond villain? As a villain. As a villain? Yeah, as a villain. Or a Bond girl, one of the two. Bond girl. Um, (laughs) Of course, yeah. Okay, I have a vaguely... Okay, I think I have a question. Uh, Laramie, is that your name? Yep. Okay, in honor of Meet Joe Black, uh, give me your vote offhand for the most... The funniest, the most unintentionally funny death scene in a movie. (laughs) Most unintentionally funny death scene in a movie. Does the horse die in Warhorse? No. no. Okay. No. I'm not go for that. <laughs> Let's go with uh, not Haji in the Richard Gere film. That won't work. That wasn't funny at all. <laughs> hmm. I find I find death so serious. That's my problem. Let me think here. So are you claiming? So you're claiming that Joe Black's death in Meet Joe Black was unintentionally funny? Then that would be your yes. premise. Okay, that's a totally fair premise how about maybe loki and the avengers fair enough yeah i I just thought his whole character was sort of unintentional comedy or maybe it was intentional i don't know (laughs) I, i will go to aaron yep aaron if you have to kill a guy, but they ask you to beat him up first, what do you do, morally? Morally, what do I do? Has to beat him up first. I guess it's an ethical question more than a moral question. I just watched the election the other night, and that's the other, that, you know, they're the whole question about what ethics and versus morals is, but um, let's... Uh, <laughs> see, I feel like there's a scenario here, like, am I in front of him, I... Do I have to show proof of beating up somebody before I kill? Um, <laughs> you gotta take a photo and paste it on post. Right. It depends what he did, right? But no, I probably if I'm gonna if I know I'm gonna kill him anyway, like I'd probably just take him out, like and not beat him up. Like I'd be be merciful about the situation, just you know, end it. You're in general like a, a Pulp Fiction. Take him out with like a with like a gun to my head. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 you know, take. take You're kind of a compassionate hitman. I'd say so. I feel yeah. I'd kill them softly, I, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, I'm out of questions. Abe, you got another? Yeah, I got another one. All right, let's go with Laramie. All right, Laramie. <laughs> now, Rick Jenkins, do you think that he could be a huge crime syndicate in any film? Like the boss. <sighs> Or yeah. is he kind of more of like a, a mid-level lawyer kind of counsel dude? 
I do think Richard Jenkins does his best work supporting, weirdly. Like, he made Eat, Pray, Love almost tolerable at parts. Mm-hmm. He made uh, the one with Owen Wilson, the comedy, uh, Hall Pass, almost tolerable at parts. So he's very good in those 15, 20-minute bursts. So I think he's supporting crime syndicate leader. Is his, That's his wheelhouse. Okay. So he's not the le- top dog. Right. He shouldn't be number one. He should be number four, I would say. Hmm. That's fair enough. Pass relaying messages and such. Hmm. <laughs> As we'll talk about later, too. <laughs> Can I go to Abe now? Sure. sure. And then Am I allowed to go awesome. back? Like, are you allowed to redirect? Is that okay? There's, there's, <laughs> I allow tag backs and know everybody. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's no playground rules here. Yeah. In your mind, is there an actor who uses breath better than James Gandolfini? <laughs> uh, you know... I will say... Like audible breath? He's a breathy actor, right? He is, yeah. Well, you know, there, there's two examples that come to my mind very quickly. First one is Jeff Goldblum. Uh, mm. <laughs> and, mm. and, uh, uh, hmm. <sighs> well, um, uh, well, uh, I, yeah. yes. And, of course, the second one is everyone's favorite, uh, Marlon Brando, toward the later half of his career, when he was just extremely overweight. So, <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I feel like Dom DeLuise is probably a good breathy actor as well, but James Gandolfini, I think we could recognize as like the breathiest of actors. Although, yeah, Marlon Brando's a good call. Toward the end there, yeah, where he's just like, ah, ah, I can't even say my lines anymore. Underrated as a breathy actor, I would say, is Mark Wahlberg, because he always seems like he's out of breath when he's talking to you. <laughs> he's, just, he's just always out of breath. Yeah, he just, he, he's, like, he's, just, he's like he was doing yeah, laps yeah. before he got to his scenes. Like, he's like, I'm just trying to find my teddy bear. Like, it's just... <laughs> I know the couch is breathy, but Forrest Whitaker always seems like he's about to cry. Oh, man, we should have we should have brought you on to the, uh, the commentary. Um, yeah, okay. All right, all right, so right. I think we're good here. I think we've, I think we've sufficiently done know everybody for the week. Um... So, yeah, that's how we do that. Let's do a little... I don't even have any, but let's do some out-and-out quickies, TM. TM? Yeah. Uh, This is where a lot of movies come out every week, and we don't always review every single one of them, so just passing it up. I haven't actually seen anything else this week that I haven't talked about already. Abe, you? Uh, No, but I did watch Bob Berger's Thanksgiving episode, and there's a great reference to a Hayao Miyazaki film, which I found very pleasant. Which Hayao Miyazaki film? I would give it away. If I okay, you. never mind. Um, <laughs> Scott, I know you saw Zero Dark Thirty. I don't want you to talk about that yet, because I want to save that for when we actually review that movie whenever we do that. But uh, any other movies you might have seen? Uh, well, I know you guys have probably talked about it already, but I finally got around to watching The Bay on, I think, Thursday night. We haven't, talked about, we haven't talked about The Bay, actually. Oh, I, shocking. I mean, I, the reviews were decent, whatever. Sca- probably the scariest f- film I've seen since The Mist. Really? It, it genuinely disturbing. Genuinely terrifying. Uh, it's my wife who, you know, always says, oh, this is the last found footage movie I'm ever going to watch. Blah, blah, blah. Even she loved it. Um, it's, it's a terrifyingly plausible bit of, it's, 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 it's a Barry Levinson film. It's basically about a small town that's infected with some kind of ecological disaster. And it's just really, really, really scary. Um, scariest Levinson film since Diner or Sphere? Yes. Okay. Well, Wag the Dog is pretty terrifying in the implications. All right. Um, so it's definitely worth a watch. Yes, very much so. I'm going to okay. check that one out then. Yeah. Uh, Laramie, any... Uh... I've been mostly catching up on uh, 
documentaries I missed, but I watched Wreck-It Ralph again last night for the second time. I love that again. I think it's just, especially once they get to Sugar Sugar Rush, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's a very interesting film. And then uh, two documentaries I'll throw out. Samsara would be best to see on the big screen if you can. I wanted because to, I it. On a small screen, it's not going to be as effective having no vocals at all and being completely visual as a film. And then Searching for Sugar Man, still the best documentary I've seen this year. Really, really love it. And if you like music, I think you'll you really dig this one as well. I really, yeah, I really dug. Searching yeah, for Aaron saw that, and it was a high recommendation from from the show Mark Hoban. Yeah, very, very good movie. Cool. All right, let's move on to movie trailer talk, where we discuss some of the newest movie trailers. And uh, yeah, the first one we're going to talk about is Jack the Giant Slayer. This is the new film from Brian Singer, and um, it stars. About a boy's Nicholas Holt as Jack, who <laughs> ventures up a beanstalk with a number of other people, including, I believe, Ewan McGregor as the kind of lead in this army. Looking very uh, dashing. Very, very, da- a very dashing Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're going to go slay some giants and rescue princesses or whatever. I mean, it's the it's that kind of movie. With that said, uh, Scott Mendelson, what do you what do you think of the Jack the Giant Slayer trailer? To my shock, I was actually entertained by the trailer. Um, you know, on paper, this looks like yet another, oh, they're trying to rip off Alice in Wonderland. You know, it's written, you know, it's, 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 you know, a reconfigured fairy tale, blah, 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 blah. And it may be, and I wasn't particularly into any of the particular special effects sequences or the, the action sequences, but it looks like it may have quirky characters. Um, Stanley Tucci made me giggle. Uh, Ewan McGregor, of course, his, his hair and his beard is, is perhaps the film's most special effect. <laughs> um, and, you know, Bill Nye is always a kick. And I, I got, you know, I, I don't think it's, you know, an even comparison, but I got a certain Pirates of the Caribbean vibe in that, you know, yes, they're telling an oft-told tale, but we've got good actors that we're letting have fun here. Something yeah. that you did not get in, say, Prince of Persia. Fair enough. <laughs> um, will the film be good? I, I don't know. Um, the fact that Brian Singer immediately signed on to do another X Men movie seems to me that he knew this was going to be a flop and needed a safe project to run back to. Um, could it be, I mean, could it be fair to say that? I mean, the movie was you know finished a while ago. They just moved it back a fair ways. Yeah, it's not like he had a his yes. his schedule was a little less. I mean, if it, if it, all right, yeah. Well, no, but the fact that, you know, they, they moved it back and forth, they changed the title, et cetera, et cetera. These generally would be, you know, danger signs. And, you know, who's to say? But I will say, just judging from the trailer, watching it in a vacuum, it looks more entertaining than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, and one thing I liked about the film, or the trailer, is that Eleanor Tomlinson walks the fine line between being a female lead that, you know, is it just a random piece of paper to be ogled and not, you know, basically uttering every line in the be more feisty vein. Again, I think of uh, Prince of Persia as a, a negative example of this. Yeah. Um, j- judging from the trailer, it looks like it will be fun. And I was not expecting that. All right. Uh, Laramie. Yeah. Maybe it's because I don't watch trailers anymore that I did kind of like this trailer. I like the scope they're using. I like that they're adding a bunch of characters. I like that it did indicate a quirkiness to it. That said, these are the ways you make a trailer these days. You show an action beat, you show a comedy beat, you show a character helping another character up. So I definitely think if you had to predict whether it's going to be good or bad, you'd still predict bad based on the calendar movement of it. But uh, the trailer itself was, yeah, fairly good. 
good cut trailer. It, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. This uh, this newly released trailer, it was pretty fun. It looks like they maybe I don't know if they did anything different to the film in terms of having to reshoot whatever, or just maybe editing it differently. Because like what Larry had mentioned, they've they've delayed it uh, till the spring of 2013. I think it was originally supposed to be released this past summer. This past summer, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, other than some of the CG in the clouds where all the giants look very, you know, computer-generated, uh, yeah, it looks to be rather fun. I hope that it is. Yeah, I, I can basically just echo these sentiments. Uh, it's It looks entertaining. Whether or not it is, we'll see. It got moved, but maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing. Well, I don't, I don't know. So, uh, Jack the Giant Slayer comes out, what, March 1st, 2013, so it's got that... That Mark is that is that like did Alice in Wonderland come out like at that same time? Yeah, uh, and three hundred no. and three hundred. Yeah, like that's the... yeah. Mark, yeah, March. Um, I think the Alice in Wonderland date's actually taken by, uh, ironically enough, Disney's Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah, this hmm. which, which seems I very don't think looks very good at all. It seems very similar seem to be, too. Right? I seem to be the minority. Everyone else, I, I, that's doing nothing for me whatsoever. But whatever. Seems very similar. In terms of yeah. movies coming out in March, it's like we're nailing our fantasy quota. Um, all right, the uh, uh, next movie we're going to talk about, we have or the trailer. We have "Now You See Me," which is a magician heist thriller. Words I don't get to put together enough. Um, involving <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, who else? Uh, Woody Harrelson, and uh, I think uh, Dave Franco. Dave, Frank, Dave, Dave Franco, and I think Shoshana Mel- Melanie Laurent as uh, like a team of illusionists that pull up heists, and like Mark Ruffalo is the FBI agent trying to track him. Michael Caine's like lost from the Prestige, trying to involve himself in this in some way. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, directed by Lou Leterrier of the Transporter movies, among other things, uh, and Cole Clash of the Titans, I guess, which would be very kind of similar to. the the Jack and the Giant Slayer movie with Nicholas Holt, actually. But anyway, uh, I'll start with Laramie. Laramie, what did you think of this trailer? The trailer, again, looked pretty good. The only two warning signs are Louis Leterrier at this point off a of clash, which was kind of a monstrosity. And Jesse Eisenberg was almost playing uh, Facebook dude again, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> like, he had that same kind of intonation, so I'd like to see him do something that stretches him a little. But if you look at this cast, it looks pretty amazing. I guess... Uh, you know, one weird thing with movies in general is they are a magic trick. You know, you're you don't you can't possibly show the audience everything, and so there's some trick involved. And so whenever you make movies about magic, it does feel like a cheat unless you overtly show what's going on. So I'm hoping that it's a it's a good film and that it's a smart film, but I'm worried that it's not. I guess. Uh, Scott, um, I think it looks like a lot of fun. This has actually been pretty high on my must see list. You know. Uh, just because it had a great premise. I mean, what a wonderful idea. You have, you know, stage magicians that are secretly criminals. And, of course, the cast is terrific, although you, it does answer the question that if Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine are in the same movie, who narrates the trailer? <laughs> um, I still think they should have cut two different versions, with one with Morgan Freeman narrating and one with Michael Caine and narrating. Then, and then a third yeah. one with Kevin Costner narrating, right? Exactly. <laughs> and it's <laughs> style. Yeah. Um, but no, it's got a wonderful cast. I mean, you know, Elias, if I'm pronouncing this right, Elias Codis is in it. Um, and that's always a good thing. Casey Jones? Um, yes. Um, and the trailer itself was cut together. It felt a little rushed. Um, but that might have just been, I, I've only seen it once. 
I actually saw it the night I saw Twilight, and that was nice because in this day and age, it's very rare for me to see a trailer first in a theater that I was not expecting to see. Um, but it still looks like a lot of fun. As far as Louis Leterrier, is that right? Louis Leterrier. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, I'm hoping this is his first American film that he'll be able to make without massive studio interference. Because Universal kind of screwed him over in The Incredible Hulk. And from what I've read, Warner Brothers kind of screwed him over in Clash of the Titans, too. I've read a few bits and pieces. That film was massively reshot and re-edited, you know, after the fact. So I don't know how much blame he can take for how Clash of the Titans turned out. You know, this seems to be him getting a certain amount of creative, creative, me, um, creative control. So let's see what he does with it. Um, you know, it's it's a genuinely original idea, and that's always nice in this day and age. Um, it looks good. I hope it is good. I'll I'll be there as soon as they let me see it. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll jump in the. Um... I, I like the idea. I like the premise. I really like this cast. Something about Eisenberg bugs me. I don't know why. I like Jesse Eisenberg. I love the social network, and I like him in certain movies. But something about him, like, being, like, competent lead hero person kind of throws me off in, like, a when it comes to summer action blockbuster type things. And, I mean, I don't think this is, like, a huge... I mean, it's about magicians pulling out fights as opposed to him being, like, a guy with a gun running around on the streets or something. But, like, some, that's something that it, it feels like... Almost like how we're saying Richard Jenkins is, you know, fourth in command. It feels like Jesse Eisenberg was more suited to kind of being next to the main guy in charge, but I don't know. I, I, but this trailer, while I had fun watching aspects of it, it's, it, something bugged me about Eisenberg being kind of the head guy in this. I don't know. It didn't bother me. So I, 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 will, I look forward to seeing the movie just because I'm curious if that holds up or maybe I'll be convinced. Maybe I'll be like, oh, Eisenberg does hold this off. <laughs> I just wait, whisper that whisper that to myself quietly in the theater while I'm watching it. Well, Iceberg's pulling this one off. Abe, <laughs> hey, hey, what are your thoughts? Uh, it, it looks pretty slick, and I definitely wasn't sure if the if they were like aliens from like another planet kind of thing with real magical powers because the the interrogation room seemed like pretty cool. But it also gave me a vibe of Jumper because Jumper they wear like all dark clothing and they all go rob banks and stuff. So I was like, man, I wonder if it's going to be really cool or just really ridiculously dumb. Uh, I do agree with the uh, the director. He's kind of on my iffy list, uh, you know, in terms of being able to direct something that is uh, stylish and has uh, context and substance rather than just flash. So uh, I like yeah, Unleashed I, a lot. Unleashed yes. with Jet Li, yeah, yeah, with Jet Li and Morgan yeah. Freeman too. Morgan yeah. and Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but uh, yeah, the host of characters and actors in this is. is so phenomenal, actually. So I hope that it's not just like you know. I, I'm sure that it has some good in it. So I, I I am more positive on it than than I would be if it was just like Jesse Eisenberg and a bunch of nobodies. Yeah, and you know, for what it's worth, there actually is a decent chunk of substance in the deleted scenes of the Incredible Hulk that you know, Universal more or less forced them to cut because they were afraid of having an overly long, character-driven you know Hulk film like the last one. Um. And I would lo- if they actually put that version out on Blu-ray, I would buy it in a heartbeat. But I doubt they'll ever do it, especially now that it's basically been retconned out of existence. <laughs> Just has Mark Ruffalo's head on the <laughs> exactly <laughs> on his body. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So now you see me uh, opens June seventh, two thousand thirteen. Oh, I got a while on that one. That's a, that's a summer movie. Um, it got moved. It was supposed to open in uh, I think April. Oh, they, they probably figured that. 
Jack the Giant Slayer was going to be killing at the box office still, so they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want to have a they didn't want to have an Avengers battleship situation occur again, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that was the reason that that movie wasn't good. Um, all right, moving on. Let's get to our main film review for Killing Them Softly. One of them starts bragging about how he just knocked over this guy's game for 100k. I don't know what it is with these guys. They can't keep the mouth shut about nothing. It goes up like a bonfire. I love it. <laughs> So who's gonna do it, you? I need Mickey for that one. New York Mickey? Right. So what, you want me to do a double? I can handle it. I don't know if they'll spring for two guys. It's a two-man job. I come in here every day. I know. I don't know you. If you guys know me. You want a position very few guys ever get in. You have choices. Look, I don't know if I can do this. You made a mistake. And you gotta make things right. There's a man going around taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. You ever killed anyone? They cry, they plead, they call for their mothers. And the man comes around. I like to kill him softly. From a distance. So that should have been some of the trailer for Killing Them Softly. This is the new film starring Brad Pitt as a mob enforcer who's looking into what happened with a mob poker game that was basically stuck up by a group of uh, kind of dim-witted thieves who get the job done, but now someone has to pay, basically, and Brad Pitt's going to kind of figure things out. He brings in a friend of his, played by James Gandolfini, to also help in possibly whacking certain individuals. Richard Jenkins is a kind of a middleman working with Brad Pitt to figure out who needs to, who needs to, you know, who needs to pay in the situation. And Ray Liotta is the, uh, the, uh, the, the guy who puts the call poker game on, and he's he's done some shady things in the past with his own poker game, so now maybe the blame needs to be placed on him a little bit, too. Okay, with all that said, I'll start with Laramie. Laramie, what did you think of Killing Them Softly? I really, really liked Killing Them Softly. Um, F, cinema score notwithstanding. I, <laughs> I, I, I've wrestled with this the last couple days. <laughs> when you see as many movies as we do, do you just like something different? Whereas if you see one movie a month, you just want something the same. That's kind of comforting. Mm. I don't know if that's the disconnect there. But for me, Killing Them Softly, its main mistake, if I were to grade it in the A- region, would be that the subtext isn't subtexty enough. It's too upfront with the whole uh, Obama slash capitalism as a predator aspect. Um, so they, they are very on the nose with it throughout. I would have liked a couple of beats of that, but not the entire film weaving in. Uh, images from politicians um, as a just gangster film I guess it's completely nihilistic it seems like and perhaps that speaks to what critics like as well but I, I love Brad Pitt in general I loved Gandolfini in this I liked Leota quite a bit I think the Scoot dude I don't know his last name but Scoot Scoot McNary yes. Scoot McNary was really good I loved him in this and I thought overall it was just a really solid drama uh, that I would recommend to people and then I guess be wrong no. <laughs> uh, Scott Edelson, what did you think of Killing Them Softly? I agree. I thought it was a very good film. As far as you know, I, I yes, we see movies a lot, but I, I, it's it's a just a good, solid crime drama. It's got full, you know, it's it's terrific actors, you know, playing terrific roles. What I found most interesting about it is just the sheer quality of the conversational dialogue. A lot of the movie is basically just talking, you know, two or three characters in a room having a conversation. And they're real conversations. They're not just talking about the plot. 
Um, I would argue the best scene in the film is is James Gandolfini's introductory scene where, without going to details, he and Brad Pitt sit at a restaurant and Gandolfini just pours his heart out, more or less. And it's it's for all the talk about the film being you know pessimistic and cynical, it it's a very somber, sad picture that does have a certain sympathy for its characters, even the ones that are you know utterly doomed right from the start. Um, and I think while there is a certain inevitability to the fates that certain characters will meet, it is you know it's empathetic about that. Uh, there is a certain sadness to it. I absolutely agree that the biggest problem I have with the film is that the subtext is text. Um, you know, the film opens with, you know, talk of, you know, George W. Bush talking about the 2008 meltdown. Then you go to Ben Bernanke. And, of course, the punchline, well, you know, eventually you get up to, you know, Barack Obama talking about it. And, you know, one or two bits of that would have been enough for two reasons. A, right. it's, it's it's you over the head sledgehammer. It doesn't respect the intelligence of your audience to get it. And B, I frankly found it unlikely that these very low-level blue-collar mobsters would be watching C-SPAN in their neighborhood dive bars all the time. <laughs> um, the remote was broken. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's <laughs> really? They're going to be they watching... They want quality C- programming, Scott. Yeah. That's what they want. And, you know, if I recall, and again, if I recall, it wasn't even like they were watching, like, Fox News with the, you know, the, the ticker tape and the, you know, they were watching... You know, the screen was filled up by the people speaking. And that's probably what you only get on C-SPAN. Right. So not only were they watching politics on TV, they were watching C-SPAN. And I'm sorry, I I, I don't, you know, I don't hang out with a lot of blue-collar, working-poor gangsters, but I'm pretty sure they watch sports. Um, <laughs> I do, that, and they and they do. So. Yeah, you'd be like, let's not generalize now, Scott. We do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's very well acted. Richard Jenkins is excellent. Scoop McNary is fantastic. Um, as is Ben Mendelsohn. It's just he's he's he plays a slightly less empathetic character. You know, he, he plays a, a character that's slightly less wise to his faults, hence we sympathize with him a little bit less. Um, Richard Jenkins is wonderful as a character, arguably someone that thinks he's more important than he actually is. And I got a certain. You know, they're very different films, so bear with me. I got a certain Donnie Brasco vibe from it, in that it was a look at not the big mafia kingpins at the top, but the low-level people. The people that, frankly, when you look down to it, are the working poor of the underworld crime scene. Um, And that's where a lot of the subtext was, the idea that criminal enterprises represent capitalism in its purest form because it takes morality out of the equation. And that's certainly a point very much worth making. I think it's worth arguing. But again, I think we get it after the first couple of times. And the repeated scenes of, of Bernanke, Bush, Obama, you know, whoever, you know, McCain. If McCain, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's basically him, you know, it's basically director, you know, Andrew D- Dominic, Dominic, whatever his name Dominic, is. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you know, jabbing you in the ribs with the ruler saying, get it, get it, get it, get it. Uh, we, we do get it. Uh, visually, the picture has a nice, grimy, authentic quality to it. I wasn't as crazy about a certain slow motion scene that, you know, it's, it's a major sequence in the picture, and it's, it's a sequence of violence, and it's done so stylistically that it loses some of its impact. You know, most of the violence in the film is very, you know, brutal and realistic, and just, you know, you, you see violence being done. Right. Um, 
But this particular scene, for whatever reason, was done very stylistically that I think lessens some of the impact of the picture. Yeah, um, to that. And, you know, as far as the cinema score rating, I'm frankly baffled by that. Not because I like the film better than other people did. I'm, you know, it's, I understand the F that something like The Box might get, which, you know, completely goes completely off the rails in its second act. You know, even somebody like me that, you know, went in wanting to like it, you know, kind of turned against it out to a point. But, and also, the, you know, Killing Them Softly did so little at the box office that I would have to imagine the most people that went theoretically knew what they were getting into. Hmm. But that's mm-hmm. obviously not the case. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get to the, let's let the rest of us yeah. <laughs> talk about what we thought of the movie. Let's say, hey, what do you, what do you think of Killing Them Softly? You know, I thought it was a very well-made film. It's, um, everything looked great, everything sounded great, or the acting was fantastic beyond belief uh but again yeah the same problems that i had uh, were what scott and laramie had too which is just there's a lot of uh, heavy-handedness of the subcontext and it's just right there in your face and i understood it i got it there's a great speech at the end uh that kind of sums everything up and i felt that that was fantastic but all throughout it's very strange that they would uh make you feel that way but again i think that the best things about it um are just that the acting and the simple story, but all these folks that are going, that are also feeling the effects of the the recession at the period, which it's not a present day film. It's like made like 2008. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's set 2008. So yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed all that stuff. And the thing that I liked most about it also was the dark humor in it. Um, particularly with conversations between Richard Jenkins and Brad Pitt, which I thought were, <laughs> Very funny, uh, and I'm, I'll get, we'll get into some examples later, I'm sure. But overall, I'm generally positive on the film, although with the with the you know what the director is trying to say with it, I'm I'm kind of put off by it. And about the cinema score rating, I mean, I was in a theater with maybe 12 people, and two people left um, before anything cool really happened. So I can understand that, but at the same time, yeah, you know what you're getting into if you see this film. I mean, I guess yeah. I, I guess it would reflect on how little this movie, much money this movie did this weekend. That yeah, I, I would imagine people knew the kind of movie they're going into watching. But at the same time, I do think the marketing kind of sells a movie that's somewhat different in the same way that I guess Drive kind of. But the, which is a weird thing to argue because it arguably didn't sell a different thing than it was shown. It's just. I go drive last year. It's showing you exactly what that movie is. People just expected more from it, I guess. And I feel like Killing of Softly is doing the same kind of thing. Do you think that's fair? Well, I think, uh, you know, Drive and Killing Them Softly, they were truthful in advertising in that they showed you pretty much every major beat in the film. Mm-hmm. But they were false only in that you ugly thought that the maybe the trailer was withholding something. Or that, you're, oh, you're, it, you're, there's more. You're inferring, and there wasn't that, more. you're inferring that there's more. Like there's, yeah. yeah. Like, no, it, it's, it's you, what you see is what you get. Um, and I, I think in general, people aren't very good at reading trailers. I mean, even something, I remember other people that were shocked, shocked that, you know, Observe and Report was a very dark film. It was like, if you watch the, you know, the reason I wanted to see it was because of the trailer, which if you pay attention to the trailer, you realize you're not getting Paul Blart Mal, Mal, Mal Cop. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, 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 there are films over history that have missold the film. I don't think this is one of them. I just think people thought, Ooh, it's a Brad Pitt gangster movie. You know, that will will be, I'll disagree a little bit on that point simply because I don't, 
generally watch trailers. I think the only time I watch trailers are when Abe and Aaron order me to. Um, <laughs> other than that, but I, I think marketing guys have a much different view of the world, and they want the action beats front and center. And so if you have a trailer that's a minute long and it's 45 seconds of action, the human mind says this movie is action-packed. It just extrapolates that out. When in reality, they've put the only 45 seconds of action in the film in the trailer. So the marketing guys don't want to have truth in advertising. They want you in the seats week one. They could care less if you actually... I mean, ideally you'd like the film, but they're judged on week one box office. So a film like Drive, they're not going to sell, this is the quietest movie you've seen in the year. You know, they're just not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think both Drive and Killing Them Softly suffer from that, that cognitive disconnect about expectations. And having not seen the trailer for either of them, maybe it helped me a, a little more really like both those films. Which makes know? me curious as to why no one saw them anyway, unless, like, someone, like, spread a whole bunch of word of mouth about what the movie is. And, like, you know, millions of people listen to that one guy and said, I'm not going to see that movie, I guess, this weekend. I mean, um, well, I mean, Scott mentioned prior that. Ten million is a hefty opening for the week after Thanksgiving, and true, you're yeah. just not going to hit a number this weekend. Yeah. No. Um, no, it's... Scott, no, no, go ahead. Uh, okay, I'm just cutting with my own review. Other, um, <laughs> I, I did like it uh, quite a bit. I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, I was, I, I purposely tried. Well, I never let Abe and I never. We tried not to let each other know what we thought of the movie, just so we can have some kind of surprise. And I was, I was kind of hoping Abe wouldn't like it, just because we we all, I think, have the same exact thoughts on the movie. I think it's very well acted. I think there's some very cool, stylish things going on directorially. Um, I like how the story plays. I like the straightforwardness of the story. Actually, it's it's the kind of movie where I think you could easily, if this was a different movie, if it was more, if it was lesser, or you know, if it was more. I don't know, not necessarily creative, but if it was different, there could have been crazy twists and turns coming on and, like, uh, differing up what's what's going on in the action. But instead, it's just, it's very, you kind of know how this plot's going to play out, and it doesn't do anything to to kind of back away from that. Things are going to inevitably happen, and they do. But getting there was a lot of somber fun to an extent. There's a lot of dark humor in this movie that I like. There's a lot of performances that I like. There's a lot of, a lot of different aspects that I liked about this movie as well. I do think... Again, I agree with you guys that it kind of hits you over the head with the message or whatever of the movie, and it's not subtle about that at all. But it didn't—it didn't necessarily hinder my enjoyment of the film. It's—it's just more—it's. I'm just aware that that bit exists. I know the movie was like what two and a half hours originally, so I'd be curious if. Really? Yeah. Oh. Right. It, what? Yeah, it was like two and a half hours. They like the first cut of this movie. So I'd be, <laughs> I'd be curious if like the whole knocking over the hell with the message would be kind of diluted more in that full version, perhaps. But uh, huh. it's I don't a long know. cut. It's interesting because <laughs> yeah. it, it felt like a complete movie. I mean, it, it, I, it's, yeah, I know. I'd be, I'm curious. I mean, what it else didn't is... feel like it was missing anything. Frankly, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what else is there. Like, yeah. Um, interesting. I, I I agree with what you said in that. You know, in the vein of perhaps a Stephen King novel, it is tense and suspenseful because you know exactly what awful things are going to happen, and you know there's just no stopping this train, so to speak. And there, there's a lot of inherent drama in that. Um, as, as far as you know, getting back, if I may, for a moment about you know the marketing, sure. you know, I saw the trailer made me want to see the movie, and I came away satisfied with what I saw. So, I mean. To be honest, I didn't see the trailer for Drive before I saw the film, and I didn't like Drive uh, for a number of reasons that I'm still getting hate mail about a year later. <laughs> um, but no, it's, I, I just, it's, it's interesting how different audiences read trailers. For me, I sort of look like 
okay, there's a lot of action in this trailer, but it looks like it's all in the same couple scenes. There's probably not much action in this film. Um, but I would say that and, the theatrical trailer for the film made me want to see it a lot. Like I, and that's the trailer that I think sells what the movie is the best. There's been I, yes. I keep seeing the TV ads for this movie. Which are they make it feel like it's like the next snatch with with Brad Pitt talking <laughs> not English this time or something like it, yeah. it, that, that's kind of it gives you like this it's a really cool movie in the wake of Tarantino or whatever like it it that's the kind of movie it's selling and so that's what I'm that's kind of the what I'm more referring to I guess just because like that that original theatrical trailer I was seeing you know since the summer because that movie was about because yeah. Killing the Soft was going to come out in September but then you get to these like TV as that I'm seeing now and like the blitzkrieg marketing that it did in the past week to make sure that you are reminded that this movie is in fact coming out actually like it, it was selling what I thought was a completely different movie based on having seen it at that point so. no but uh, but yeah, yeah to be fair you know Lambie's right um, the marketing is to get you there opening weekend who cares if you like it or not yeah. I mean, that's you know, completely beside the point. And I, I don't fault them for that. I think if you need to trick people into seeing a good movie, go ahead and trick them. You know, if you need to convince people that Leaving Las Vegas was a feel-good, redemptive romance, go for it. It wasn't? <laughs> you only just saw the trailer, didn't you? I, I've seen the movie. Um, Getting into some more of the things that I liked about the film also is just uh, the director's choice to have those... Uh, it's kind of like... Uh, a foreground, hard focus, and soft in the background, so it makes everything, or you make you focus on one character. I think that I mean, one particular, he does it throughout the film, but one particular scene is when Brad Pitt's going to go meet uh, uh, the, I forget his name in the film, but basically the guy from Argo. Uh, oh, Scoot McNary's character. Yeah, Scoot's character in the bar. And there's like this dude yelling in the background. You don't see him, it's just blurry. And then you just hear gunshots, right? But I also liked how the director... When there's a serious conversation going on or there's um, a point of interest going on with two characters talking, there's no music, no sound effects, no background, anything. It's just those two characters talking. I found that to be very interesting, and it really gives you a sense of, I guess, the gravity of the situation of how these guys operate because they're they're not great guys. Uh, they do have feelings, yeah, when, when um, what's-his-face is getting beat up, uh, you know. Ray Liotta, I mean, there's, there's some feelings between those two guys that have to do it, but it's just, you know, it's a dark, gritty film, but there's some humor in, in the, with as well. What I, what I like, and um, have you guys seen Assassination of Jesse James by the, all that title? <laughs> the Coward <laughs> I have not, but I did want to check that out. Scott? I missed it over the years. I keep meaning to. Laramie? Yeah, I have seen it, and it's a radically different film. For sure. This. But, yeah. uh, that, the, the, the main thing I'm referencing in relation to that film, yeah, there are the same director, Andrew Dominic. Um, it's the violence in those two films, I think, is similar in the way. It's very to the point. Like, it, it's very matter-of-fact. in the like, With the exception of one, this, this slow-motion sequence that we've been referring to, the violence in the movie is brutal, but, like, I mean, it's really quick, but it's brutal and kind of... It's done without flash. You just someone's getting yeah. beat up. They're getting beat up. It hurts. It looks painful. Someone gets shot. They get shot, and then they get shot again to make sure they're dead. Like it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's there's a brutality to it that doesn't kind of it doesn't play up the idea of being a cool gangster character. It plays up the reality of the situation, and I right. I, I I enjoyed that aspect of the film. It's it's very matter of fact as opposed to sensationalized. Yeah, and as and- a result, it's more disturbing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was reminded a lot by, um, I was, was going to mention this in the callback, but Zodiac, uh, the violence in Zodiac, where it's 
it's not really stylized. It's more just like, man, that guy just got killed. And yeah. it's not pretty. And it's, there's, yeah, there's, there's going to be some stuff on the ceiling and everywhere else. And yeah, it, it is. The, the shotgun sequence is fantastic. Uh, that was very gripping. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not pretty, but it's very effective in what uh, it does. I think another thing that, um, that's interesting and works about this movie is how it's, I mean, we've seen since, I mean, before this as well, but since like Reservoir Dogs and since Tarantino ushered in whatever you would consider he ushered in, in terms of kind of cool gangster movies, this movie where people make, you know, pop culture references in their dialogue and talk a certain kind of speak, this movie, it does have, I mean, the political aspect of it. It does, or the, or referencing the economic crisis, it has that aspect in the dialogue. And so it, I think the dialogue is still stylized to an extent, but there is kind of a, the conversations people have with each other in this film, it works against the idea of having, you know, cool hip gangsters talking cool hip language to each other. And that was another thing that I, I kind of, I came away thinking that, that this is a, this is a neat, a neat angle to take back this kind of movie with. No, I, I, and that was my favorite part of the film was the quality of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. It felt authentically conversational. And sort of the high watermark that I was hold up with that is uh, City Slickers, uh, for what it's worth. You know, if you ask me what's the best conversational screenplay in my lifetime, I would say City Slickers. Um, This, you know, the dialogue in this film isn't as good as that, but it brought that to mind. More so than something, you know, when most people think of clever dialogue, think of, you know, Pulp Fiction or, you know, you know, uh, you know, the usual suspects or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dialogue in this film felt the way that real people really talk. They're yeah. not particularly clever. They're not particularly articulate. They don't have, you know, witticisms or, you know, ironic pop culture references on the tip of their tongue. You know, most of the, you know, frankly, most of the characters in this film are not very bright. And that's not always the easiest thing to present authentically because, Perhaps stereotypically speaking, most screenwriters are relatively intelligent. Um, at least the ones that get to that, you know, I would say Andrew Dominic is relatively intelligent, I would presume, by the by what I've seen, you know, what I have seen of the assassination of Jesse James and what have you. So, you know, it's not always very easy for smart people to write dumb. And it's not always easy for, for smart actors to play dumb. I think Jodie Foster is one of the best yeah. actors... Well, I, <laughs> I think, you know, Jodie Foster is one of the best actresses on the planet, but she can't play dumb to save her life. Uh, same thing with Kevin Klein. You know, I, there's, a, there's a movie called Trade about the human trafficking ring where he plays a somewhat, you know, average intelligence, you know, Texas cop. And he just doesn't pull it off because that's not Kevin Klein. Yeah. It's a reason um, I like Kilmer Joe quite a bit because there's a lot of actors yeah. that are playing dumb effectively. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I, I mean this as a compliment. John Travolta plays dumb very well. Oh, yeah. Pulp, him in Pulp Fiction has been so good. Yeah. Like, he plays it um, even. <laughs> the um, Big Mac. Uh, or, you know, something phenomenon. Um, but, you know, again, it's, 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 I, I felt the dialogue was, was, again, it's how people talk. And that's not something that you find in that many movies where they sound authentic and they have real conversations that aren't just about explaining the plot. Yeah. And that goes back to your point earlier about the James Gandolfini stuff. I, I really enjoyed that conversation at the bar, as well as the one where they're in the hotel room. Yeah. Because it's just, yeah, it, it I, I don't know. Some people might think that it has relatively very little to do with the movie because he kind of just goes off on this tangent about his own life. And Brad Pitt kind of has to, you know, tell him, dude, you're here for something. I need you to get on your A game. 
but he's he's actually just really a depressed guy. Um, and it's just great. You, you don't really think about it. it. It doesn't, like what you had said earlier, it doesn't really further the plot. It's not like, it's not like a Danny and Rusty meeting over the plans to steal, to knock over the Bellagio. It's just James Gandolfini saying, dude, don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. Don't you know what, like, I am not even supposed to be here. I'm having a terrible time in my life. Did you sleep with my wife? I was like, whoa, where's all this coming from? It's like, uh, okay, I, I, but really, it, it's what somebody who might be going through a terrible time in their life would think about or talk about. And so it probably did take the writer, I think Andrew Dominic wrote it. Yeah, from, uh, he, 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 adapted, he adapted the book. Yeah, he adapted it from the book. But it takes a, it takes a very clever mind to write that kind of dialogue. And the other thing I want to bring up is the, the dark humor stuff. I, I Again, I enjoyed the conversations between Brad Pitt and Richard Jenkins. You ever killed anyone? No. You can get touchy-feely. Touchy-feely? Emotional, not fun. A lot of fuss. They cry, they plead, they beg, they piss themselves, they call for their mothers. It gets embarrassing. I like to kill them softly. From a distance. Not close enough for feelings. Don't like feelings. Don't want to think about them. We need Mickey. What's the problem? Mickey is expensive. Not at the moment. You get him for 10? 15. I think in this economy, quick 15 for two days' work would sound pretty good to Mickey. We'll sell him a party. Fly in, whack a guy, fly out. Quick 15. Fly coach. Especially when Brad Pitt's explaining to Richard Jenkins why they have to. Uh, kill a certain person. Kill a certain person. And then at the end of their conversation, uh, Richard Jenkins is like, oh, I get it, for street value. And it's like, ah, that's so clever because it's almost like, uh, it's, like a, it's like a huge joke on uh, people who are not in the field. They don't know what to do or what how things work. And so it's, it's just funny the way that Richard Jenkins expressed it on his face and the way he said it. It's just, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um. One thing I, I – you mentioned the scene in the hotel. One thing I liked about this movie, frankly, is that you know, for better or worse, there are almost no female characters in the film. Now, the reason why that's good is because it's basically a male-centric crime drama that does not feel the need to insert a token love interest into the narrative just to have a – you know, an attractive woman to put on the poster. We don't, we don't need a scene of Brad Pitt like waking up with his wife in bed and he's like, exactly. I got to go to work or something. <laughs> you know, or the girl that's waiting for him that, you know, he's, 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 you know, when are you going to give up this life and you know, run away with me? And, you know, I can't count the, the number day. of, of <laughs> um, and, you know, the killer elite is always the example that I use as the worst offender of that. Cause you have this, you know, hardcore macho crime drama with the, what's his, you know, Jason Statham, Robert De Niro, De Niro and Clive Owen. Owen. And we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to care more about Jason Statham purely because he has a girl waiting home for him. <laughs> and frankly, I think it's it's condescending. It's patronizing. Yeah, uh, it's insulting to to women. Frankly, how was Clive Owen's mustache in that movie? Awesome, terrible. Was it an A plus? Okay. Oh yes. Right. Um, you know, it's it's a man at peace with the idea that he will never be Bond. Ah, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, as sad as that is, and I was a fan. You know, I saw Croupier back when it first came out in theaters. So I was on Team Owen for a long time. Yeah, uh, but anyway, here's a question for everybody because um, I can't really think of any. But what were some problems that you had with the film, if any, aside from 
the sub or the subtext. No, that was my only real qualm. Huh. Um, I, I, I had issues with the one sequence that we've discussed just because I thought the way, you know, the stylized nature of it lessened its otherwise, you know, it lessened its dramatic impact. But other right. than those two things, I mean, I would say within its, what it was trying to do, it was a, other than those two things, it was a flawless picture. Did you think that the CG during that time was a little bit over the top, or you kind of just went with it? I was too distracted by how much I didn't like how it was being shot. <laughs> okay. It wouldn't have been any better if the CGI was better, so I didn't really care. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think but of the like... text over subtext is a pretty big flaw for me. You know, it's why it's merely very good rather than great. Yeah. I kind of would... Uh, I'm there, too. It's good, not great. Or very good, not great. Yeah. What'd you get... Or how was... Uh... I know that the, the dude from The Dark Knight Rises, and he was also oh, in Mendelssohn, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys like that uh, drug sequence? The, okay, so there is one thing, I guess. The the music does kind of hit you over the head as well. I mean, and you have... It's very, like, classic oldies music. Yeah, but you have a scene with Ben Mendelssohn, you know, fading in and out while he's doing drugs while, what, Velvet Underground's heroine's playing, I believe, in the background. <laughs> it, it, it certainly knows what scene... It, I mean, it, it's not like a flaw necessarily, but it's like, okay, they chose this track because that's exactly the point of the scene. But I mean, I... I yeah, I, I can't really say I had any other issues with the film that really took away from my experience of watching it. I, did, I was admired too much about things that were going on with it. Yeah. Cool. I really like I really like the heist scene in this movie. The uh, the heist that occurs early on, and it's because it's like you said, it, 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 there's no music, there's no there's nothing going on in the back. It's all focused on these two characters robbing yeah. this heist and you know, Ray Liotta trying to convince a person to to not do this because it's just going to mean for everybody, right. <laughs> bad things for everybody is going to happen. And I, go on, Scott. No, no, no. I, I, um, no, I agree. It was, again, it was very realistic and, and, and authentic. And because it wasn't hyper-violent and it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a shootout. There wasn't, you right. know, random gunfire everywhere. It almost seems like it's playing <laughs> into the fact that, you know, as a film goer who's seen, you know, many kind of gangster movies and heist movies, you almost, it's, it's utilizing tension or is creating tension based on the fact that you're informed by other movies so you think something might cra- crazy might yeah, happen. Yes, that's a great way of characterizing it. And so, like, it's all, it's, it's almost at another level because of that. Like, it's beyond just the fact that this is the movie it's showing you. It's preying on assumed knowledge that you might be anticipating something because of other movies you've seen that are closely related to it. And, and back to that, uh, you know, card game scene, There, the, the two characters leave separately, and... I kind of feared there for a second that something might happen. But, yeah, I think that you're right. It assumes that you've seen films where uh, there's ultra-violence or something like that, um, ultra-shootouts, and that doesn't happen. So I'm, I was tense, but nothing happens, and that was okay with me because I was thinking, good job, Andrew Dominic. <laughs> it, it plays into the idea of, like I said before, that it, the plot's very straightforward, and it's going in one direction without having crazy twists and turns along the way. And it's just a matter of getting there and it does it very effectively. Cool. Other thoughts before we uh, get to the Laramie, any other thoughts on killing them softly? No, I think we just keep saying the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then let's get to our rating of the film. Then each week we try to rate films based on when you should go and see them. And uh, our scale goes from IMAX to theater to dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. 
I know what most audiences around the country might have thought of that, but Scott, where would you put it on that scale? Um, theater, probably, you know, maybe matinee, because statistically speaking, you're probably not going to like it as much as we did, since America spoke. Um, They're waiting on our thoughts. No, no. Um, it's a very good movie that I think should be supported. So, yeah, theater. Laramie? I would say theater as well, and I would say in particular, if you see a lot of movies, I think you're going to like the beats on this one a lot more. Maybe if you're a casual moviegoer, then wait till you know, rental, but I would say in the theater is a great place to see it. I'd say I'd say dollar theater, and it's not to say that it's taking away from it, but it's just more of it's a quieter film, um, but it's still worth seeing on the on the big screen just for the cinematic value. Sure, yeah, I would I would say theater as well. I think it's a I think there's a lot of good things to like about this movie, and I, I wish it got more attention, even though I assumed that it wouldn't do that well this weekend. I did not assume that, like, an F cinema score was going to be coming its way either. <laughs> uh, let's, okay, let's get to movie callback. Callback, callback. This is where we bring up a couple films that relate in some way to the main feature of the week, and um, I can start first because we mentioned Donnie Brasco earlier. Scott, did you mention that? Scott, yes. Yeah, Donnie Brasco was on my list of movie callbacks, actually, because it does play into the kind of lower people on the totem pole when it comes to gangsters dealing with stuff. Also, um, I actually watched The Friends of Eddie Coyle for the first time, which is written, which is based on a book by the same author that wrote Killing Them Softly, and that's why we starring Robert Mitchum and uh, from the 70s. And I, that's a really good movie, a really good gangster movie that's kind of very similar in tone to this movie, which is fitting, I guess. Imbruge also came up. In terms of kind of the conversations in this movie had reminded me of the conversations going on in, in Bruges. But, uh, Abe? Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned it earlier, some of the Zodiac just for the violence scenes. Um, and also, yeah, you brought up Killer Joe, and Donnie Brasco is a good pull because when I first uh, saw Donnie Brasco, I thought that Al Pacino was going to be the man, and then you realize that he's kind of just, he's just an average dude. Laramie? I would say, uh, weirdly, I think it's a much darker Get Shorty. Get Shorty has those scenes where people explain how things are a lot, and I feel like Killing Them Softly has a couple of those that where they're kind of, they're not over-expository because they're funny and they're great, but it's just like, well, here's the way the real world, world works, Rube. And Get Shorty has a lot of those as well. So I, I, I was, And I guess they both have James Gandolfini, now that I think about it. Boom. <laughs> Everything's connected. Everything's uh, Cloud Atlas. Just Cloud Atlas, that one. Um, <laughs> uh, Scott? Um, well, yes, obviously, Donnie Brasco. Um, again, you know, just purely in terms of the quality of the dialogue, City Slickers. Uh, so if you love City Slickers, you might like Killing Them Softly. I'm just writing. Uh, I'm, I'm writing down movies on my list of things that Scott has compared other movies to and how obscure they are. That's um, that's ranking pretty high on that scale. Hey, I, I wrote a review of Zero Dark Thirty comparing it to Fever Pitch. I win. <laughs> wow. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's you know any number of low level crime pictures. Donnie Brasco, Friends of Eddie Coyle, um, you know, Usual Suspects, stuff like that. Plus, again, in terms of the quality of the dialogue, I would say something like City Slickers. Cool. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to box office this week. And we've already kind of <laughs> had some asides about the box office, but uh, <laughs> what, uh, what happened this week at the box office? Scott, you want to? Well, none of you went to see Killing Them Softly. Um, it did about $7 million opening weekend. Um, it's the lowest opening weekend for Brad Pitt for wide release. 
since he became a movie star. I mean, it was, oh, it's the lowest grossing film since The Favor in 1994. And I guarantee none of the people writing that have heard of what, you know, knew what The Favor was. They just looked it up on Box Office Mojo like I did. Um, you know, he became a star, a box office draw in 1994 with Interview with the Vampire, which was after The Favor. So for as long as he's been a star, this is his lowest live action debut. Uh, actually, Sinbad opened to six and a half million back in 2003, I believe. Animated classic, Sinbad and the Golden Sea, I think. That's, a, that's an interesting movie, um, but that's for another day. All right. <laughs> I actually saw it for the first time last year. Um, Legend anyway, of the Seven Seas, that's what it's called, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, ironically, you know, call back to something I mentioned earlier, the entire time I'm watching that movie, I'm thinking, why isn't this Kevin Klein voicing this guy? This absolutely feels like Kevin Klein. Uh, but anyway. It's because he flopped uh, in El Dorado already. So they exactly. Don't he got lost in El Dorado. Um, anyway. But yeah, it, it tanked. Uh, got an F from Cinema Score because people were, I guess, expecting the Gangster Squad. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize they were making a sequel to Bugsy Malone. Um, but no, it, it, it's I guess it's a tragedy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think Weinstein kind of dumped the movie. You know, they got busy, you know, in September they thought The Master was going to be their great Oscar Ope. Now they think it's going to be either The Silver Lines Playbook or Django Unchained. So really, you know, killing them softly has no place at the table. Though I think it's it's something to be said of how strong of an awards bait lineup the Weinstein Company has this year. That they are in a position to dump something as good as killing them softly. But, to their credit, they released it wide. You know, they put it on about, you know, 2,400 screens. So the people that wanted to see it are able to see it. Um, you know, something that might have happened just a couple of years ago is a film like this, even with Brad Pitt, would have just been, you know, death by platform, where it would have been lucky to grow $7 million total. At least now it's got a chance, you know, a slim chance to reach, you know, $20 million bucks. And, you know, it costs only 15 to make. It's already done 15 overseas. Right. So in the end, it will make money. You know, it's it's it's... No one's going to get more work off of it, but it's not going to be a money loser. Uh, the collection opened in 1,400 theaters, made about $2 bucks. Oh, well. I mean, they decided to release that live at the last minute. I, 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 I don't know anything really about the film other than it's surprisingly decent, allegedly. I did not see The Collector, uh, though I'm interested in renting it now. But as far as the holdovers... Twilight's at 254. It's going to end up right neck and neck with Eclipse and New Moon, which did 300 million and 296 respectively. It's, gonna, it's already tracking well ahead of Breaking Dawn 1. Um, Skyfall is interesting. Skyfall has $246 million. Not only is it the biggest Bond film of all time by a pretty healthy margin, it's the biggest spy film of all time. And. Not adjusted for inflation, Skyfall is the biggest grossing, pure, non-fantasy, non-sci-fi, non-superhero action picture ever. Hmm. Um, All of those things? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, if you're not dealing with, you know, sort of a, you know, a fantasy, superhero, et cetera, et cetera, film, if you just want, you know, a present, you know, a set on planet Earth with regular people running around with regular guns, it's the biggest grossing action film of all time. Yeah, it's not doing bad. Eight hundred and seventy million worldwide. Yes, it's eight sixty nine million worldwide. Yeah. Um, it's gonna do a billion, I think. So my prediction a couple months ago that the Dark Knight Rises would be the last two D film to break a billion dollars is incorrect. 
Mm. Uh, happily, I'm happily to be wrong about that. For what it's worth, had it been in 3D, it would already be over a billion dollars. Um, okay. And other than that, there's not that much to report. I mean, you know, Rise of the Guardians is still a flop. Life of Pi is doing okay. It's done 40 million. It still cost 120 to make. So they're still hoping that Fox can do its overseas magic. Have you seen Life of Pi yet? I did. I wasn't crazy about it, but I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't like it as much as I know you were were relatively fond of it, but it wasn't something that inspired me to write an angry editorial or anything like that. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, Silver Lining Playbook, I dislike that enough to write about it. Um, I will you say You are... That, you're, I think you're wrong on that one, but go ahead. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, I say that objectively. I understand. Um, I, you know, Life of Pi, let's put it this way, did not make me believe in God. Um, but that was a story. <laughs> Or was it? Well, I, I don't want to deal with the ending, but I know yeah. where I, which store I know where I put my stock. Let's put it that way. I understand. Um. All right. <laughs> not much else box on. It's the middle. It's the first weekend in December, and you know what? Next weekend, there's not going to be much to talk about either. Otherwise, either. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's 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 get. Uh, we have time, right, Dave? I think it's uh, time, Aaron, for. Everyone's favorite long-awaited section of games. Certainly Mike Blakemore's. All of that. Um, All right, this is games, and I made a new game for you guys this week. It is called Killing Them Softly or However. And, uh, okay, so basically (laughs) I have all of the the actors in this film have previously been involved in movies that have also involved people dying in some way, possibly. So I have a series of questions... Phrased carefully to not give away the answer, but basically one of you will have to guess which film I am talk- I am referring to. Should be simple enough. Just, you know, shout them out when you know it. So here we go. Let's do this. In which film did Brad Pitt kill a Hulk? Hmm. I thought that'd be easy. In which film did Brad Pitt kill Troy. Troy is the answer. Scott Mendelson's was, on the board. Yeah. I was going to say Eric Bana, but... That's not the movie. <laughs> that's, that's the film, Eric Bana. Yeah. That's the life story. Okay, in which film was James Gandolfini involved in the death of an easy rider? Oh, True Romance. True Romance is correct. Laramie's on the board. I'm throwing things at this board that I have to really identify the points. Okay, here we go. In which film did Richard Jenkins reach his own untimely demise following miscommunication with the cranky John Malkovich? Uh, Burn Uh, After Reading? Burn After Reading is is correct. Scott nailed that one. Okay. Ben Mendelsohn was softly taken out by a scary Bronson in this film. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Do you feel in charge? (laughs) Does this give you power over me? (laughs) My wife is actually looking forward to seeing it just to listen to his goofy voice. I wish we could have karaoke with Bane. (laughs) Um, Scoot McNary could have had Geely killed if he didn't step up in this film. Sounds like a lot of references. Step Up Revolution? He was in Step Up Revolution? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, uh, Geely's Jennifer Lopez, so killed? I don't know. Good question. Scoot McNary uh, could have had Geely killed if he didn't step up in this film. Out of sight. Oh, out of sight. Is he the guy that trips? No. 
Is it out of sight? I figured this would be the easiest one since you only know Scoot McNary from one other movie. Argo? It's Argo. Scoot McNary could have had Geely killed. Ben Affleck is Geely. Yes, Ben Affleck. Oh, Ben Affleck. Oh, gotcha. I've never actually seen Geely. Your Geely knowledge is clearly not up to par. (laughs) All right. This one, okay. Which Ray Liotta film found him trying to take the life of a key player in Halloween Resurrection? (laughs) Oh, 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 uh, Slow Burn. No. Although I think, no, that's the wrong one. Halloween Resurrection, who is it? You just have to think of the key player in Halloween Resurrection. Is that the sixth one? The one where they have the reality? That is the Uh, reality one, but that's the the eighth one. Oh, eighth. Um, I think I know the key player, but the film's not coming to me. We shout out the key player. Maybe others can get the answer. I'm going to say Buster Rhymes. I don't know. Perhaps. Uh, I, I assume Slow Burn is too vague a reference. Um, I give I give up? Give up. It's Narc. Narc is the film which has Ray Liotta trying to Oh! The Joe Carnahan film. Which is quite good, too, actually. Oh, it's good. I just don't remember everybody who's in it. All right, last one. Which film has Sam Shepard watching over the depths of many good men during a trip to Africa? Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Down is the correct answer. Sam Shepard isn't killing them softly, by the way. He he was in there for, for like two seconds, yep. and he's great. <laughs> yeah, that's a great shot, by the way. It's like one steady camera shot that goes like across the house. <laughs> really, yeah, it's just yeah. Brad Pitt has worked with Jim Gandolfini at least three times. He was in the Mexican too. Yep, and True Romance. Oh, yeah. cool! All right, that was games. That was, that was the game I had. Uh, let's see. What do we have next? Oh, next week. Or actually, no, we got this other thing. Out now presents what's out now. Movies that have come out recently. Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild comes out this week, and we talked about that in the past episode. Eh? Everyone is pretty positive on it. Yeah, uh, Scott, you like you really like that movie too, I believe. Oh yeah. It's gonna make it'll be on my top ten list. Laramie, have you seen Beasts of the Southern Wild? Sorry, I wasn't on the mute button quick enough. <laughs> um, I haven't seen Beasts. I do have a screener, so I know I need to catch up at some point. Okay. Very interesting in terms of visuals, I say for sure. And there's, I really like that movie in general. But that's that's the thing that stands out to me that I like saying to people. Uh, I will be thrilled if she, whose name I don't remember offhand, gets an Oscar nomination. Quavonjane Wallace. Thank you. I wasn't going to try that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I practiced it. I, I broke it down phonetically so I could practice it. Uh, Dark Knight Rises also comes out this week. That, I think some people have heard of that movie. And uh, Men in Black 3 also came out this past week. And I think we, at least I know Abe and Scott, we were all surprised by how good that movie was. Like, yeah. There was a period where that was my second favorite film of the summer after The Avengers. During that, you know, June slump. Hmm. Uh, and it's still one. Of, I think it's still one of the best, you know, mainstream pictures of summer 2012. Uh, there were a lot of good, you know, sort of but artier films. But in terms of, you know, the big pictures, I think that was that and the Avengers and you know Ted were my favorites. Uh, and it's my favorite of the series. I was shocked how much I enjoyed it. Where did you see Men in Black Three? I did. I actually, I saw it on a plane randomly, and yeah. I I think it was yeah it made me laugh at least a dozen times which was impressive yeah. that's the that's the requirement i think right for most comics yeah. <laughs> you need at least, yeah. a, at least a dozen chuckles and it's like oh that's that wasn't bad. yeah 
Uh, next week, we have, uh, on the show, we don't. Well, I think we're going to talk about the collection mainly because nothing else is really coming out to talk about. Playing for keeps, man. I'm saying playing for keeps. <laughs> Gerard Butler. Uh, but Gerard Butler makes the terrible choice to date Jessica Biel, Uma Thurman, Judy Greer, and Catherine Zeta Jones. Or Dennis Quaid in a shocking or twist. Or Dennis Quaid, yes. <laughs> but we know that he's going to end up with Jessica Biel because she's the only one that's significantly younger than him. It's almost like Mrs. Doubtfire, but without Mrs. Doubtfire. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe, you know what? I'm getting like random messages from Mark Hope in front of the show about Anna Karenina. Maybe we'll finally go see that, and we can talk about that on the show. That might be, might, that might seen, be a better choice. I haven't choice. seen that one yet. I've seen it. It's not good. Enjoy. Okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I've heard as much elsewhere. I have, too. I do like Joe Wright, though. I do, too. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Well, uh, we'll see. And so because of, you know not much happening in the relative future in terms of box office. I guess we can try to predict what we think is going to be number one again next weekend. Will it probably be Twilight? Would that be a fair assessment again? I, I think Skyfall is falling slower and slower than Twilight. It'll probably creep up there. Uh, yeah, I, ho- I hope it's Lincoln. Neck. You hope, I hope it's Lincoln. Be, you hope it's Lincoln. Yeah. That'd be great. I thought Lincoln was going to be number one this weekend, but it fell a little far, harder than I was expecting. I mean, he's still doing great, but... Sky, oh. Now, Skyfall, would that be its fifth week out? Would that be some kind of record if it managed to get number one after five weeks out? Uh, I think Forrest Gump pulled that off, give or take. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of kind of um, ones in the 90s that kind of randomly do Yeah. Um, I don't know about recently. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, or maybe, right. yeah. It still would be impressive by any rational standard. If it, yeah, suddenly became number one again because Gerard yeah. Butler playing soccer didn't cut it. Uh, yeah. Well, that's going to take us into the end here for Out Now, Fair and Abe. You can, of course, find more of my work in my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for various Blu-ray reviews. Actually, I just posted my Beasts of the Southern Wild Blu-ray review. I think, I think I'm the first one to do that, which is surprising. Everyone was trying to do those Dark Knight Rises reviews in, I guess. But uh, you can also find me at Twitter, twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com or twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Scott? Uh, Mendelssohn's Memos, H- er, Scott Mendelssohn at blogspot.com. And Laramie. Uh, Brad and Laramie on Movies on iTunes. Also, I think I've got 10 pieces coming for film.com in the month of December, or uh, every once in a while I'm over there on filmdunk.com or ropeofsilicon.com. All right. And, of course, you can find every other episode of Out Now of Aaron and Abe on iTunes, also at hhwlod.com. That is the podcast network that's happy enough to host our show along with other shows such as The Walking Dead TV Podcast and other fun podcasts about comics and games and cool stuff like that. Outnow.podomac.com. Most of the newest episodes and some exclusives can be found there. Uh, Abe, the Outnow YouTube page. Uh, yeah, the YouTube page is up. If you guys just want to listen to just the main reviews and cut out all the trailer talk and games and everything else, head over to youtube.com slash outnowpodcast, and it will be up there waiting for you to listen to it. And you can, of course, email us also at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you were one of the seven people that saw Killing Them Softly this past week and your <laughs> thoughts on it. Or any other questions you may have. And maybe you maybe you have a suggestion for what we should talk about next week. Who knows? Or facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Those are the places you can follow and like those pages and, you know, get all the updates and what have you regarding our episodes and shows and whatnot. That's, yeah, that's the end of this podcast. Thank you, Laramie and Scott, for joining us today. Always a Thank pleasure. you. And uh, yeah, until next time, so long and goodbye. Strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words.
refuge. Cries well. Little bass sitting up here on the bass. While I'm on this roast, I got my girl L. One time, one time. Hey, yo, L, you know you got the lyrics. So I came to see him and 